This podcast contains material and language that may be disturbing to some listeners. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. David and Shane discuss their random paranormal adventures and stories. We dive into paranormal cases from the past and the present. We also talk about what got us into the paranormal, the highlights, and the scary moments while on our adventures. This is Shane, and you are listening to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to us. My name is Shane. And I'm David. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking with the founder of the Logan Paracon. Before we get to that particular topic, I hope everybody enjoyed the last episode with Tim. He is an awesome friend, an amazing investigator, and he has some amazing abilities. Talking with him on the last episode was an amazing time. It felt like it went super quick. Before we knew it, it was already midnight, one o'clock in the morning, by the time we wrapped everything up and headed home for the day. But I thoroughly enjoyed the talks with Tim, right, David? Yeah, he was all right. <laughs> Nothing too special about him, I don't know. Yeah. He's an amazing guy, though. He's, he, showed, uh, he, sh- he showed me, his, fondled my stones, showed me some of his, you know, how, how that goes. And then didn't you guys cross swords too? I may have showed him a, a few of my long pointy sticks. Yeah. 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 David's house is definitely uh, a uh, room full of an adventure. Let's put it that way. Yep. I got everything you could potentially like, unless you don't like the Beatles, but then you can f off. Right. <laughs> oh, should have saw the look on. On Tim's face when he walked in the house and felt all that wonderful energy and saw all your stones and everything. That was that was great. Until we showed him the neighborhood. Yeah, until we showed him the neighborhood. That was a <laughs> that was a different story there. Uh but this is Ogden, Utah, so But it was a good episode. There's nothing really else that we need to discuss. We are doing the Paracon in October. Like I said before, we do have a guest on this episode who founded the Paracon here in Logan. So why don't I bring him on the air with us? Now, the person that is responsible for this, his name is John. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Doing good. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, John? Yeah. So um, I grew up here in the valley uh, in northern Utah. Um, the home I grew up in was built in 1883, super old. And by the time I was about eight years old, seven, eight years old, I realized there was something really different about my house. Things that went on in my house didn't happen at my friend's house. And, um, I realized that, uh, it was very active, paranormally active. And that kind of launched me, you know, on this journey where at first, you know, 
we as kids weren't allowed to talk about it outside the house because my parents were afraid people were going to think we were crazy to tell people we had a haunted house. Mm-hmm. And uh, so for a long time, I just read everything I could get my hands on. I'm going to the library and finding all the books about paranormal ghosts, uh, Bigfoot, UFOs. I mean, anything I could get my hands on, I read. And so just talking about that and talking with my sister and my parents a little bit and that really got me interested in the paranormal. And um, so later on, as I got older, got to be about a teenager, my friends were over at the house and they started having experiences. And I had to admit that my house was haunted at that point. And what, what happened that was really interesting at that point is, you know, my friends and would we'd be at a party or out you know double on double dates or whatever and they'd say oh john's house is haunted have him tell you some stories so i started telling my stories and before long i had i had people coming to me and wanting to tell me their stories and and you know it kind of blossomed from there to where i started collecting stories from people uh, first in this you know around this area uh, of northern utah and then I published my first book about five years ago, five, six years ago. And then from there, it kind of expanded because the more my book got out, more people started contacting me. And um, I just recently, yesterday, my fifth book became available on Amazon. And so it's just kind of blossomed from there with my experience of meeting people and, and writing down their stories and sharing my ghost stories and, and everything that's happened for, to me. Okay. So with everything that everybody was bringing you, that was your inspiration of writing these stories between that and your personal experiences as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I wanted to share my stories. And what was interesting is as I, I did share my stories, um, people felt comfortable coming to me and, and sharing their stories. And uh, through the process, there are some people that want their name changed, which I understand, and I'm more than willing to do that when I do it. Some people are okay with it. Um, back when I started, uh, way back in the day, when I was 17 when I started actually interviewing people and, and hearing their stories. Okay. Uh, it wasn't the same atmosphere that we have now. Now we have, you know, television shows and we have, you know, groups like your guys' groups and mm-hmm. it's it's much more mainstream and people felt feel less judged, I think, now when they have a paranormal experience. But uh, back yeah. then when I first started, yeah, when I first the, started... The stigma is like 70% now where back, you know, then even like in the 90s and everything, things was like 40% where people didn't want to talk about it and touching on uh your parents not wanting to do it was was there a religious household um yeah it was a religious household um i'm not so sure that that had as much to do with it of the fact that i grew up in a small town right and everybody knew everybody and so you know i i have this saying i always say that when you grow up in a small town the two things that you do is gossip and try and avoid being gossip. Those are the two things that you yeah. do most. I, I so. completely agree with that right there, 100%. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people, when it comes to religion, that's why they don't want, you know, the parents don't want you talking about it, is because a lot of it is based on their religion and they don't they don't want to talk about it right. in their religion. Right. And, and you know, I, I've kind of taken an, an interesting view on that in the fact that, you know, I'm. I was raised religious. I'm, I'm a religious person, spiritual person, I feel like. And, you know, in a lot of ways, ghosts just reiterate to me that there is something after this life. You don't just poof and you're gone. There is mm-hmm. something after. 
and mm-hmm. um, some of the experiences that I've haven't that I've had throughout my life have um, reiterated to me that loved ones that I have are are still around in, in whatever capacity. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'd agree on that too, because um, I mean I don't really follow a specific religion, but uh, doing this so often there is something else out there, and that's what keeps me wanting to do it is to figure out what else is out there. Right. You know, because I've had too many experiences where I'm like, well, this is more than just coincidence. There's something that's actively affecting something. Right. So then that's where I try to figure that out more. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, religion's not really something that um, I focus on. But I mean, it doesn't bother me that other people have religions because, right. you know, just the, my philosophy, as long as you're a good person, I don't care what you believe in. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting you say that, too, because after doing this and interviewing people and just being out and, and talking to people like you guys and, and everything, I have friends, you know, I've made a lot of friends doing this and they come from all spectrums, you know, um, you know Catholic, Mormon, um, I even have which I never thought I would. Um, I even have a few friends that are, are Wiccan and do natural um, paganism, paganism type, type, stuff, like type that, yeah. stuff too. Yeah. And, and I agree with that, that there's, there's good people out there that, you know, and in all religion and, and stuff, it's, it's, it's interesting that um, you can find, you can find good and bad in anything if, mm-hmm. if you look for it. So yep. it's, it's focusing on the good that I find isn't really important, but mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you some of the things that I did experience in the house growing up um, was everything from what I believe to be um, just um, residual mm. uh, sounds that didn't necessarily interact with you at all, all the way to, um, as kids, we coined the term, we called it the stair monster, because one of the main things that happened a lot was footsteps um, running up and down the staircase that's in the middle of the house. Okay. So as little kids, we called him uh, the stair monster. And um, even though I think there's more than one that, that lived there or lives there, um, but some of the other things I did see, you know, a couple times of full body operation that we mm-hmm. called we called him the hat man not not related he's actually not related to um the um shadow person that's that they call the hat man um, this gentleman had a white brimmed hat um white shirt and overalls looked like an old really tall skinny farmer um and i saw him on several occasions as well so um i had a a good helping of all different kinds of um, interactions when i was growing up in that house and my parents still live there so there's still things that go on now to today so okay so when you were experiencing all this what town where did you grow up in i grew up in hiram so oh you just grew up here in hiram yeah okay. from hiram just on the south end of uh, cash valley here so so what part of Hiram were you more closer towards the middle of town or were you on the outskirts? Um, not too far from uh, the entrance to Hiram Dam, the beach area up there. So originally the house uh, was part of um, back in the day when the government was paying for the railroad to come through. They paid the railroad in land and that house was built by the railroad and it was a farm and then the railroad sold it um, to a gentleman who farmed it there in Hiram. And then by the 1920s, uh, he sold it to a, a great, great uncle of mine. 
and it's been in my family ever since then. So okay, yeah. Have you been able to track down the history of this particular house, like what people have lived in there before your parents and everything like that? Yeah. So I had a really interesting experience. Um, my grandparents lived uh, only lived um, a block away from me growing up, and my grandpa lived in the house that he was born in. So. Um, that house was also an older house and they had a lot of um, family relics in there. Well, when my grandparents passed away, uh, we were there helping clean up and everything. And um, there was a bunch of really old um, photo albums and I was flipping through it and I turned the page and all of a sudden there is um, my house that I grew up in and this gentleman standing in front of it who was tall, skinny, overalls, white shirt, white brim hat, it was him. And come to find out that it was my great, great uncle. Um, so he's one of the, the spirits, I believe, that are still in the house. So oh, um, okay. it's it's interesting. I think a lot of them, and that, that's another thing too. I, I get a lot of asks, you know, why didn't you cleanse the house or do whatever and try and get the spirits out? And, and our feeling was we've never been really frightened. And so... Um, in, we kind of had this feeling like it's as much their house as, as ours. That's where they lived in this life. Mm. And so, um, yeah, it's been very interesting. So, well, I'm glad you didn't have the displeasure to dealing with a malicious spirit in your own house. That, right. That's a huge plus. Yeah. And, you know, and we can coexist with spirits as long as they mind their business and we mind our business. But then there's the people out there that poke and prod and want to get that reaction. And then there's the entities that want to poke and prod and want to get reactions from us. And then hence why my group is around. Right. You know? So I I kind of wish we can coincide a little bit better. But due to the times, it's a lot harder. Yeah. And I've had people that, um, you know, when we have conversations about things that we see on TV... Um, and I, I said, you know, I wish that a lot of people, when they run into an instance like that, would find a group kind of like yours that wants to come in and help. Um, instead of, you know, I give the example, if you hired an exterminator and he just came in and threw rocks at the beehive and then left, that wouldn't be a very good, <laughs> a very good exterminator. But that's what I see a lot. Mm-hmm. You see that on TV. They come in, they yeah. provoke, they do whatever to get a reaction and then they're like well good luck and they just kind of leave so yeah. it's and so yeah, well, I appreciate a good case in point is uh, the recent uh, Ghost Adventures episode when they did that residential in Hiram mm-hmm. that very case thing nothing against the family for doing it but just my take from looking at it was that these guys came and you know they're gonna do what they do and film it but they really didn't do anything to help them. No. So my thing is, like, if these people really wanted help from this, they would have looked local first mm-hmm. before reaching out. So the fact that they reached out first, to me, was like they were just wanting to be on TV. Yeah. 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 But, like, not saying that what they were experiencing and were going through wasn't real, because I believe that there was a lot going on in that house, for sure, watching it. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that they first instinct was to contact the TV show I think was a poor move on their part if they really wanted help. Right, because there's definitely, you know, like I say, good good groups that are the willing to help you there, and and then groups that are just doing it for for mm-hmm. the the factor of you know TV or whatever it is. Yeah. You 
and a lot of people are just looking for that attention, whether it's on Facebook or not. We talked about it with Tim a little bit where people on Facebook groups say, you know, what should I do? This, this, this isn't happening to me. And I go on here and say, well, if you really are concerned, my group will come look it out. They never contact us. They're just looking for people to be like, oh, that's crazy. That's so scary. Uh, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. do, do that factor like that. So there's tons of people like that. And then you got the other people that are like trying to get the ghosts in their house. They're like, oh, look, I have a ghost in my house. People come clamor, you know, and it gets a little bothersome. <laughs> right. Exactly. And that comes to with, the, you know, the popularity of the TV shows mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, I know personally in my books, um, I at least for my first four books, definitely I, I have collected stories of people who have, um, run into spirits because they, they used a Ouija board or they did something of that nature Mm -hmm. to bring it in. And I've avoided writing those stories because, you know, I don't want to exploit that or anything like that. But one story that I did put in my newest book, um, I, I preface it by explaining that, you know, this is a good example of why you don't want to necessarily mess with this sort of stuff. And I, mm-hmm. and I told the story of a, of a gal who her boyfriend talked her into, you know, playing around with the Ouija board and, and the things that happened to her because of it. And I, and I use it as a, as a warning more than anything, which is what she wanted as well. When I talked to her and interviewed her, you know, um, that she wanted to make sure people knew that, you know, it's not just a toy and, and, you know, serious consequences can happen so that was yeah. the first time i did that in mm-hmm. one of my books and, and and it is a very scary story but i i definitely preface it as a warning kind of a thing so yeah and that further concretes why we are so against ouija boards for right. example because it is dangerous that's why we are completely against it and the fact that you publish a story in your book of a real life encounter with a ouija board further proves and further concretes our stance on do not use Ouija boards. They should never be marketed towards children. No one should be using them because essentially you're you're allowing whatever into your house once you open up that gate. Yeah. And once that gate opens, you know, that's when you call us and then we'll scold you. We'll cleanse your house. We'll scold you some more. We'll get rid of the Ouija board for you. Scold you a little bit more and then leave. Right. Right. Because it ultimately not only does it put the person that's playing with the Ouija board in danger, it puts us in danger as well because we don't know exactly what we're going to be running into. Case in point, when we talked about the Ouija board that we found at Media Rift, for example, what I saw coming up those stairs, you know, obviously I don't have video or photographic evidence of it but what i saw is what i saw what we felt is what we felt when dealing with this ouija board and this isn't the first ouija board we've dealt with either we've dealt with a few so far now Mm -hmm. and each case has been different so not all ouija boards are the same depending on how you use it will depend on the outcome of it and every ouija board that we have cleansed it has had a different energy to it right. every single time but you've never had a good experience when dealing with mm-hmm. uh, an investigation that a ouija board is present agreed there's always been something that's negative about it mm-hmm. and not to say that people can't use it the problem with most of it is people don't know how to use it mm-hmm. and just their level of uh defenses isn't strong enough to be able to use it mm-hmm. there are certain people that i believe can use it and be able to use it without repercussions but that is very minimal mm-hmm. and then even then you're still 
even the most expert a person on Ouija boards uh, can get something in that they aren't prepared to handle with. Agreed. Right. That's for Mm -hmm. sure. Yep. You got to, and in the vast majority of the stories that I write in my books, um, a lot of them have to do with people who have experienced the paranormal uh, in a way that they weren't, they weren't looking for the paranormal. It just kind of found them. And, um, and because that happens, you know, that happens enough without you having to go look for it, I think, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And then, like you say, going and looking for it can be uh, a, sc- a scary experience. Yeah. Because you could find it and then you, you know, and, it, and again, you don't know who's answering the other side when you're opening up things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, now, with your experiences that you've had, have you actually been on an investigation have you been on a cleansing have you done any of that aspect besides your own house obviously yeah um i've been on uh, a few investigations um done some of that as well um i have helped people who've contacted me in the past Mm -hmm. um where they're like oh you know you know i hear your stories i've heard about you you know i may have a ghost i may not you know or i think i have a ghost and i'll talk to them and try and come in and and I've, I've done that a few times where um, it, it ends up being nothing paranormal whatsoever, which is always good. And then um, sometimes uh, if it is, a lot of times that I've found that's fixed it, if it is just simply a ghost and mm-hmm. not something that they've invited in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, simply, uh, you know, I have them communicate out loud, which sometimes they feel really silly doing. But if you say, like I had one where woman you know had something in the house that was scaring her daughter and it was a new house and and i talked to her and i said you know if you just speak out loud and you say what you're doing is scaring my daughter what you're doing is upsetting me you know this is my house i live here now you know and just being vocal and and that has helped a lot of people that way yeah just being vocal and saying you know i understand you lived here i understand that you're you're welcome here but you can't you know what you're doing is scaring me what you're doing is scaring my kids and Mm. So I have helped, you know, people with different things like that. Um, that's how I've come in contact with um, some of the objects that I have. We, we talked before about um, having uh, some haunted objects. And I have taken, you know, been given them from people who didn't want them, didn't know how to handle them, whatever. And um, so that's how I've, I have a, a collection as well of, of haunted objects. Mm-hmm. because of that but i'm able to um, lock them away and, and keep them in a in a safe spot where yeah. they don't affect people so yeah we'll definitely touch on the haunted objects a little bit later in this episode um i wanted to uh circle back so in regards uh to you helping those people basically you're helping them reclaim their home you're helping them give them that voice that authority to hey i don't appreciate you doing this in my house you know, if you don't knock it off, we're going to have to make you leave, right. you know, and most of the time they will respect that. Um, there's only quite a, there, there's a few circumstances that where the spirit will not request that at all. Um, there's been a couple locations where we did, where the spirit was just causing chaos because the spirit just did not like the people occupying the, the residence, you know? And so the spirit was making it very, very unenjoyable to be in that location we ended up having to evict him unfortunately you know but it gets to the point where yes this was your house when you were alive but now that you have passed over to the other realm 
we can't really have you harassing this family. I mean, right. I know you don't like them. If you don't like them, you can leave. You have the option to leave. A living family doesn't really have an option to just leave. You know, you got got to find a place to stay. How you're going to finance that, you know, stuff like that. For a spirit, you could just go. Go somewhere, yeah. 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 Um, in your books, you said you talk about uh, other stuff besides the spirits like Bigfoot and stuff like that. What's your experiences with uh, Bigfoot? Is it just collective stories from other people or have you actually gone and hunt Bigfoot yourself and do your own research in the field? Um, most of it is just stories. Um, I, Growing up here in Cache Valley, uh, I spent a lot of time in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And though you know after interviewing as many people as i have and and understanding um you know what they've seen you know i believe there's something to it i have not seen one myself the closest i ever came my son and i came across some tracks um in the mountains that were obviously from something huge and um they never went we followed them for as long as we could and never got to a place where we could have made a plaster cast but having you know been a hunter and been in the mountains my whole life i i knew what i was looking at wasn't somebody with uh you know 18 foot or 18 inch long you know feet running from hillside to hillside it had to have been you know something like that so i do have a belief that there's definitely something too bigfoot what it is boy i don't know because there's a lot of strange things that go on with it and i know that there are people that believe everything from it's a real solid creature like a gorilla and then all the way out to people that believe it's partially i know the native americans believe it's um can be a physical animal but it also has spiritual um beliefs to it and it's able to move and disappear and so who knows but a a spiritual uh totem of type creature that is a protector of like the forest type deal yeah exactly yeah well did did you find that uh, a lot of reports is not in desert areas of uh bigfoot sightings um most of the ones that i have collected at least here in the valley um is uh, you could almost draw a triangle um up from bear lake um over to um uh to near um, beaver creek lodge and beaver mountain and then idaho that whole area right there and these people don't know each other and haven't told a lot of people their stories and yet they all seem to come from that area right there which i mm. find is really really interesting so yeah. my biggest thing would be is it's pro- probably in the uina Man- mountains yeah there's a lot there would as be, well. i think the central point of where it would come from mm-hmm. like it could probably wander around in the area but i think eventually when it goes back to somewhere i think it would go to the uina mountains yeah because the further south you go in Utah, the less and less sightings you get because it gets more deserty. Right. And I think Bigfoot's a mountainous type of region of a creature that it is. And I think it's a creature. I think there's a creature, like an actual living type thing. Uh, but I also think there's different species oh, right. of Bigfoots, not just one central thing that it get. You know, that I think there's different types of species that uh, range. Just like when it comes to primates, you know, right. they may look the same, but they're different types. And I feel like it's just that type of evolution that they just like their seclusion. So then, when there's people, they boogie on out. Yeah, you know, they're really not aggressive, but they could be if you're too close to where they're living. Right, exactly. Yep, I, I would agree with that. That's a pretty good assessment of that. 
And we even posted up an article, and we talked about it on the episode when we talked about Bigfoot, uh, that tribe or whatever that they found over in Nevada, right, David? Of those people that are about seven to nine feet tall, those mummified remains. Oh, yeah, there's definitely tons of different aspects that people look into it, whether it's uh, actual creatures to ancient beings or to even religious aspects, because a lot of people have that religious, like, uh, you know, the Cain, David and Abel, and all that stuff like that, race of giants, you know, there's, like, tons of different ways you can go about thinking about it. But creature just makes the most sense to me, you know, an actual living creature. Right. Um, and that's with most uh, cryptozoology type things is the f- when the way I think about it is the f- ocean. How many unidentified creatures in the ocean are we constantly discovering? You know, why can't that be the same on land? Even though most of the land on the continents are occupied, that doesn't, it's really not. There's still tons and tons of more places that we don't go to that for miles and miles has never seen civilization well and and to this point somebody uh, came to me and this is what i always tell them they're like i don't know how you could hide to, you know a big creature and out there there's people around he there's no way he can hide and i bring this fact to them is that in the mountain range of oregon and washington and up to the canadian border which is where a lot of bigfoot sightings are mm-hmm. there's over 500 missing planes that have crashed in that area and never been found and planes are great big silver things, you know. They're and they're not moving around or anything. But there's literally like 500 airplanes that have crashed in that area, and they've never found these airplanes. Mm-hmm. So that's how vast this area, you know. That's how vast the wilderness is. And the Uintas are a lot like that too. There's just a lot of things that go on there, and and people don't realize how secluded it is up there, you know, mm-hmm. away yep. from everything. Yep. No. From the Rocky Mountains to the Uintas to the Appalachian Mountains, all, all those big mountainous regions, there's just tons because mostly because you really can't build in those mountainous regions. It's just, it's impossible to really yeah. build infrastructure and stuff out there. So yeah, it just makes sense that, you know, you may get like 50 hunters a year out into those mountainous regions, but that's just 50 people. Mm-hmm. You, they're the chances of them seeing something is very minuscule and most of the time in their lifetime they only have encounters once in their lifetime and they go hunting their whole lives from childhood to death right and sometimes those hunters only have one encounter that they can't explain yeah exactly Mm -hmm. so that just makes it even harder for the rest of us that don't do it on a lifetime basis yeah yeah and i can say that you know i spent my whole life on the cache hunting fishing and um i'll go with my my son my youngest or and and we'll find something new, a rock formation or something I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And and I've spent my whole life up there going around. So, yeah, there's there's definitely a good area that can be hidden up there. Yeah. And even to further concrete what you said, there's animals out there. Like, there's this uh, one breed of small deer that's only in Mexico that is super elusive and very hard to hunt and find. There's the snow leopard over there in Afghanistan, Iraq area that is super hard to locate and find and hunt or to track or anything like that. So you start seeing some of the similarities when it comes to Bigfoot. You know, there are other animals that do not want to be harassed, and so they go incognito. Right. You know, but then like you said, there's over 500 planes that crashed along that mountain range and no one's been able to locate not not one. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, that's just how vast and, and just ridiculous it is to, to get up there. And then, you know, uh, the mountain ranges around here too, you, you can walk around fairly easy. But in, up there in the northwest, it's just thick as thick. You can't see five feet in, you know. Something huge could be hiding there and you'd mm-hmm. never know it. So. so like the Black Mountains and the Appalachians too. Yeah, yeah same with them as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's your uh, thoughts on the Bear Lake Monster? Oh, I love the Bear Lake Monster. Um, I've, I've actually read a lot uh, about it. In fact, I'm going to have a little... Um, set up at the Para-X um, here talking about the history of the Bear Lake Monster and stuff. A friend of mine sent me a couple years ago um, an extract from, uh, at one point Brigham Young came through northern Utah with a group of people just to check on the saints in northern Utah and went all the way over to Bear Lake and then down to, back to Salt Lake. And his, one of his porters that he was close to kept a journal the whole time. And, um, I, he sent me an excerpt of his um, journal and it was funny because he said oh we spent two days here we made it to Bear Lake everything seemed fine the locals are still having problems with the monster in the lake eating their sheep and then he just keeps going on it was like a little footnote in his thing that, that the hmm. locals were having an issue with a monster eating their sheep that comes from the lake and so um, and at one point uh, Brigham Young actually had a, a giant chain made in Salt Lake and sent to Bear Lake to hopefully help them catch it. So, mm-hmm. um, you don't know. No, I, you know, again, nobody's seen or anything for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people believe it may have been a large sturgeon that lived in there, but they've never proven that sturgeon lived there. But I love the folklore of it. Um, I think folklore and um, the paranormal kind of go together really well. Um, do I think there's something in there now? No, personally, I don't. I don't think there is, but. Um, with as old as the lake is and as old as um, the Native American lore talking about Bear Lake, they wouldn't even swim in it because of some of the stuff that they saw. Mm. But it's just fascinating. I love it. Yeah. When it comes to folklore, there's always a hint of truth in a probably more likely exaggerated story. Right. Um, the biggest folklore that I, we've investigated so far in this area was the witch tree. That we uh, quickly was able to ascertain that no witch was hung right on that tree. Mm-hmm. Not to say that there isn't anything paranormal happening in that area. Mm-hmm. It's just what everyone that's drawing to that area on a specific focal point isn't factual. Right. But you still have the natives and stuff up there and everything like that. So, I mean, you have lots of stuff going on up there. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, I mean, there is a bit of folklore that brought us up there. And, you know, going around with it. And who knows, there could have been at some point someone who was accused of that and did get brought up there and killed up there. But from what we were able to determine, that was, we couldn't find any proof for that. No, mm-hmm. and, and I did the same thing. I looked through, you know, all kinds of, of history of Menden and everything. And uh, like you say, it's just a folklore, a story told by, you know, uh, you know, grandfathers to their grandkids kind of a thing and and like you say there's no truth to it but and yet a lot of people still claim to have you know experiences up there at the witch Mm -hmm. tree so and cash rally is is just full of different folklore like that stories Mm -hmm. like that so well one that we did do that was true was crybaby bridge yeah that one was true we were able to actually confirm that which was a folklore that we just discovered on the internet and we went and we were able to actually confirm uh, the stories 
that were told about that bridge. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. You know, and uh, to, to come back to the, the Bear Lake thing, you know, they still have yet to explore the depths of Bear Lake. So we don't know exactly what can be discovered. I know the southeastern part of the lake is the deepest part of the lake. Right. And they have yet to, to actually go down and discover what exactly was down there. And plus, um, it's been known to, in history that a lot of fur trappers used to conjugate right there at Bear Lake anyway and trade their furs and everything like that. And right. It would, it, I'm kind of wondering exactly, you know, did, did the first initial settlers come across these particular fur trappers and did they tell them these stories or did they actually experience them themselves? Because I'm kind of curious what the trappers experienced once they came to Bear Lake and was hanging out there for a hot minute to trade their furs. Right, and and so they got the information a lot from trappers, and then when they first moved there, they they had a lot of interaction with the Native Americans, the Shoshone up there, and they mm-hmm. have their own folklore uh, dealing with it. Um, in one of my, I'm trying to remember which one of my books, um, I interviewed a gentleman who um, his grandfather, his great grandfather, grew up there, and he let me take stories from his great grandfather's journal. Um, he, that he told me and um, put them in there and two of them in particular his grandfather worked as um, uh, he, he he was a logger up there and so as and and his father was a logger too as a teenager his job was to go around the lake with a team of horses and they would float the logs that was the easiest way to get him around there and so he would go around and find the logs on shore and take the team down there, hook them up, drag them up, and then drag them to the mill. Mm-hmm. And one day he was out about 17, 16 years old, and there was two logs down there, and he gets the horses down there, hooks up the logs, drags them up, get them to the top. He had to drag them up and over, and he looks down, the, and there's two still two dot logs down there, and he's kind of upset because... He's like, I didn't even see them down there. And so he hooks the team up again, drops the two logs, goes back down there. And when he gets down there, they're actually fish, he said, that were as big as the logs. And they both just swam off and down and into the lake, um, which was which was fascinating that there were some sort of fish that large in there. Um, yeah. And then he also later on, when he was older, um, was logging on the west side of um, Bear Lake Valley and he'd stopped to have lunch up there and all of a sudden he he heard a sound that sounded like a hum that got louder and louder and more and more high-pitched and then it disappeared from his hearing range and at that point he said something that looked like a giant plate that was glowing orange um, come up from the the trees and then hovered down over him and over his team of horses and then across the lake and then disappeared. Interesting. And, which was one of the earliest um, UFO sightings that I'd ever heard of mm. was back then. But yeah. yeah, so Bear Lake's a fascinating place. Yeah, there's a lot of folklore around here. Like what David said, we we checked out the witch tree. There is activity up there, but it's not directly correlated with the actual tree itself. Um, the Crybaby Bridge, we did determine that that was legit. And some of the experiences that we had there. Where is that at again? I'm trying to remember. So that's over there, Bear River City. Bear River City. Okay, that's over in Treetown area. Okay. Yeah, and then um, obviously there's the there's the huge folklore around 
St. Anne's Retreat, which everybody still circulates to this day. And then I've heard a few others like Smithfield Canyon, Providence Canyon. Um, let's see, what's the other? Green Canyon as Pretty well. Pretty much name a canyon. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of canyons. There's something yeah, with a canyon, canyon anywhere. Um, I've interviewed people who... Um, there's a ghost up there that if you camp in the wrong spot, he gets upset and will drive you out at night. I interviewed a woman that had that happen. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing some of the folklore and, and stories that go on in the valley. Yeah, because it's, it's been on our list to go and check out Smithville Canyon and Green Canyon and all that. And uh, one of our good friends, Shandy, she's uh, she's a light worker. Uh, she was recently up in Smithville Canyon not too long ago, and she says she didn't really feel anything malicious. But she's also from the light as well. She's completely just full white light. She oh, doesn't, gotcha. like for us, we we tailor towards the middle. So, I mean, we're, we're in the middle between light and dark, and she's completely over to the light. Right. So, uh, one of these times we will go up there and kind of check it out. Because years ago, when I started my group, we investigated Providence Canyon. And that was interesting. We caught a, what I believe uh, back in the day was, uh, looks like someone was kneeling down, you know, kind of like when in, in the fetal position. Mm-hmm. That's what it kind of looks like. Um, I believe I did post it up. Didn't I post it up, David, on the group page or the podcast group page? Do you remember if I did that? Pretty sure I did. Probably. How long ago? Uh, that was when we first started the podcast. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Lots happened since then. Yeah. If it's in there, just scroll all the way down to the bottom. I believe we talked about it between the first to third episode. Uh, so just go back and, and uh, take a look at that. But yeah, there's there's just folklore everywhere. Now, are you a big UFO believer? Um, I, You know what? I am, actually. Um, I've seen some things, not anything up close, but I've seen a few things. But... I've interviewed so many people that have had experiences um, with UFOs, and um, even now that the government is saying, you know, we're filming things and this is it, and mm-hmm. who knows, you know, we we can't explain what it is. What is in the ships? I I couldn't tell you that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but I, there is definitely something about it that's that's strange and out there. Whether they're from another world, whether they're from this world, whether it's something like that, I I do have a definite belief in ufos so do you think that they're little gray beings with big black eyes or do you think they actually look like us i don't know i that's a good question um you know i've heard a lot of things with the, the grays and stuff but when i've when i've talked to people and i and i haven't talked to p- people um personally that have had this happen in order for me to have a story in my book i have to get up first person that's one of the things that that i have in order for the story to go in my book but when I've talked to or heard second person or heard interviews with people that talk about the greys it almost seems to me like there's almost an an inhuman spirit connection there somehow it, like I, I mean I don't want to disprove anybody if they're like yeah it was greys and they you know from another planet whatever because it's never happened to me but it almost seems like it's a demonic thing with them but I'm not mm-hmm. sure to be honest okay. Have you ever seen a UFO? I've seen something in the sky that I couldn't explain um, before. Um, it was brief, um, and um, it did things. It was on, on the south end of the valley here where I grew up. Um, it was far enough away that I couldn't really, I couldn't really tell. 
uh, what it was. I know that one of the stories in my book was from my grandfather, who was a very grounded man, um, a World War II vet, who mm-hmm. um, saw a UFO up um, in Sardine Canyon. Him and the workers that he worked with, very close encounter with that. Um, and my mother has also seen the UFO on, on the Wellsville's as well. So, um, I, you know, there's definitely something to it. And the Wellsville seemed to be... Um, a hot point in casualty for for ufos i've noticed with with the mm-hmm. people that i've interviewed but yeah i've heard some stories uh about ufo encounters up sardine uh but most of the stories that i've heard in regards to ufo and ufo hunting a lot of people love going up in uintas and down in the western uh parts of utah where it's desolate and desert and southern utah as well yeah Yep, I've interviewed a few people from the Uintas as well that have seen UFOs, and um, and I know that they talk about, you know, I, I talked to a, a gal that moved from Vernal, and um, she said, yeah, people in Vernal, you've either seen a UFO or you haven't lived there for six months yet. That's what they kind of say. They have a mm-hmm. lot in that on the backside of the Uintas, so... So what's your take on Skinwalker Ranch? Do you think it's more paranormal-esque or do you think it's more UFO-esque? Or do you think that it's more government tie? Boy, you know, that one's hard to say. Um, I've seen, you know, quite a few of the shows um, and read all the books I could on it. I found it really fascinating with the things that went on there. Um, it, It seems to me almost like where a lot of those things where the paranormal and ghosts and UFO and even some Bigfoot stuff and creatures seem to all converge there mm-hmm. um, with the sightings that they have of UFOs and the sightings of creatures they've had there and in that area as well. So um, I don't know if I've come up with a conclusion myself what exactly is going on there. I do believe there's something just outlandish is going on somewhere how the world seemed to collide right there on that ranch mm-hmm. it's kind of fascinating i would love to go up there i don't know if i'll ever get a chance to or not but yeah i would love to go up there so with that particular area now has there been reports of activity in that area prior to the atomic bomb craze or was it more after? Um, you know, I I have talked to people that said that a lot of the Skinwalker part um, and creatures and Bigfoot seemed to happen before, and then like the UFOs seemed to increase after the atomics, the atomic tests in the Southwest, and um, it seemed to almost increase quite a bit after that. Yeah, because technically we we were in the path of the fallout from the atomic right. testing that they were doing in the Nevada desert. So that's why I ask, mm-hmm. because we all know the history that the Navajos were the ones that cursed the land that brought in the skinwalkers, you know, so that was pre-atomic bomb. Right. Way before then. And then once the atomic bomb craze and the fallout happened and everything, it seemed like UFO was more of the niche in that area. So, do you think that the atomic uh, chemicals that they were using uh, for the for the atomic bomb and everything, do you think that that could have brought more UFO to the your Earth? It's it's possible. Yeah, I think that it definitely after um, we started testing atomic bombs and everything, that I think worldwide a lot of the UFOs started to increase. I think it, it may have put us on the map, so to speak. Well, who's to say that the their technology wasn't emitting uh, a signature that they were just then picking up 
where obviously before then, before pre-atomic, there wasn't a type of signature on their radar. And as soon as we started doing atomic stuff, a little blimp popped up on their radar that they are now able to start tracking a type of signal that we were emitting from our testings. Right, and exactly. And they just started coming over and seeing what's going on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. maybe they're trying to use some of the you know, waste, atomic waste that we're producing, maybe they have an interest in it for some reason. So right. they're going to all those test areas to try to get some, mm-hmm. you know, who knows, obviously, but right. just one of the things that pops into your head. And and one theory that I've heard too, I'm, I'm sure you guys know of the missing 411 books and uh, people going missing in the wilderness. Yeah. 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 Um, one theory um, that I've heard, um, because everybody talks about what it is that's taking people and everything, and a theory that I had heard is that um, that maybe the government, to, in order to get some, um, and this is far-fetched and out there, so I just want to preface that. Mm-hmm. But part of the reason the government has an agreement with with some of the um, the visitors from wherever is that they're able to take so many people to do experiment their experiments on, but they they have to do it in a way that it seems like it's an accident or like that it wouldn't be traced to them and the reason that this person put that forward is because um, the government doesn't keep track of um, people that go missing in mm-hmm. national forests they don't keep track of people that go missing in in those areas they just mark them down as as dead after a couple of years yeah but anyway like i say that's way out there but yeah it's kind of interesting to talk about so but it, it kind of ties in with everything else too because like we just talked about 500 planes go missing in this mountain range and not one have been located right so that kind of ties in with that too so i don't think it's really outlandish i think it's reasonable mm-hmm. because there there are still a shit ton of land out here that still has not been explored you yeah know, i mean if you go over to the east coast that's one thing everybody's crawled all over the east coast but you come out here to the west there's still thousands and thousands of acres that have been untouched by humans yeah yep exactly and um and parts of there's parts of canada that are like that as well you like 86 percent of canadians live within 80 miles of the american border so there's a mm-hmm. lot of land right above you know all through canada as well that's not been explored and, and plus so, everything's two times bigger up there in canada i, I know i know i when i was when i was younger i remember i was hiking um on the cache and I almost fell into a, um, a mine shaft mm. and I marked it on, you know, on my little map and everything and got back and I searched forever and there's no mention, you know, all the way back as far as I could go of a mine in that area. But it, obviously with the timbers and everything, it wasn't just a hole. It was a, it was a mine. So there's yeah. a lot of things up there that you don't, we just don't know about, you know? Mm. So yeah, because like you just discovered an abandoned mine shaft that hasn't even been recorded. It's not even on any government site. Right, exactly. Well, that's the mine that we did. Mm-hmm. The only way we could get to it was memory from the family members that went up, been up there like 20 years ago, and they're trying to remember how to get up there when they were shown it to us because there's there yep. was no record of it anywhere because it was a privately owned mine mm-hmm. at, in, at the time, and it was just passed down through the family. Right, and that it, they didn't have to mark it anywhere, and. And there's a lot of land up there now, too, that is private. There's huge swaths that are private that don't even have less people on it or looking on it because it's privately owned and, and the regular community can't doesn't have access to it. So it's just maybe one family or something and it just doesn't get explored a lot. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. Now, haunted objects. Yes. So, what objects do you have? So I have, I have quite a few. Um, those uh, that I'm going to be displaying there. I have one from a book. Um, it was the. It's a Tarzan book, but it's actually. Um, the second book. I'm trying to remember what it was called. Anyway, I interviewed this woman up in um, Idaho. She was a book collector, and she had um, she had gotten this um, this book uh, in. She'd gone to a um, what do you call that when somebody passes away and they sell their stuff? Um, an estate sale. An estate sale, yeah. She'd gone to an estate sale, and she found this book. It's called The Beast of Tarzan. And um, she thought, oh, it's, you know, pretty cool. It's kind of, it's really old, but, you know, um, as a as a book dealer, or um, she was always finding books for people, and she thought she would keep it. And um, when she got at home, strange things started to happen. She'd come home, and the book would be on her living room floor or in her office out like somebody had been reading it. She ended up locking it in her, she had a big chest of drawers. She locked it away and it would rattle around at night in there. Um, and um, eventually she saw it was a young boy came to her in her room and he was partially burned. She said she, she was, it was so vivid. She said when, when he came to her that, you know, part of, his body was burned and she could even see the embers on his skin. She was like, that's how vivid it was. And, um, so she freaked out and decided to get rid of it and found a gentleman that would take it. Um, and she told me this story and I happened, she gave me his name and I actually ended up getting it myself. I keep it locked away in my safe. Mm -hmm. That's, that's one that I have. I haven't had too many issues with it. Because, like I say, I keep it pretty locked away. Um, another one was a gentleman from um, from northern Utah. When his grandfather passed away, um, they all got things from... His grandpa didn't have a lot of money or anything, but they all got to take a few things. And his grandpa had a box that had a Native American hatchet head in it, and he took it. And a um, very similar thing happened. Uh, it started... Um, coming out of it, it would fly out of the closet at night. Um, he, he could hear drums sometimes at night coming from the closet where it was. Mm -hmm. And, um, he eventually took it and put it in his, um, in his, uh, offsite, um, a place offsite. And he just didn't know what to do with it. And when I got his story, he, he asked me to take it. He was like, I just want you to take it. So I have that one as well okay. that I keep in there. Um, Another one is a toy gun from the twenties. That's actually personal to me because when I was little, um, uh, this gives you a good example. One time I was little, I had this little airplane that I was playing with and I was in the kitchen and I set it on the table and turned around and got a glass of water. And then I turned back around and my plane was gone. And in its place is this, um, cast iron, uh, cap gun. And I'm like, where's my plane? I look all over. I can't find it. I take the gun to my mom and she's like, she's like, well, I don't know what this is. And it was from the 1920s. And, um, for years that would disappear. And then the plane would come back when I was little. And even in my room where I had some of my old toys, it would disappear and the, the gun would come back. And finally I took it and put it in, you know, in a box, sealed it away. So wouldn't disappear i know that sounds really strange but it really and so i have that one as well that cap gun hmm. um 
and I have a few other things, including some um, charcoal sketches from the people that lived in the house that uh, I grew up in that I found when doing some renovation. And um, there's a few other things like that that I that I have from um, just meeting people and getting their stories. And um, I have a big gun safe, and if I keep them locked away in there and in another box in there, um, they don't seem to bother anybody. No, it doesn't really sound like you have items that have a lot of malicious intent. No, I, I do. yeah, I don't keep. I don't, I try not to keep anything with malicious intent. I have in the past had those, and I eventually just get rid of them just because of some of the issues that go on with it. Um, but yeah, most of the stuff I have isn't malicious, but has spirits attached to them for probably you know just. Um, the same way we're attached to, to things that we love in this life kind of a yeah. deal. And um, so, yeah, no, nothing malicious on my my side anyway. So Okay. Yeah, because for my collection, I have my gun safe where a crotchety old man is attached to. Uh-huh. I have the two dolls that came from my investigator, Rebecca's mother. Um, one of them was just fine. The other one just had a, a pretty nice spirit that just popped in every once in a while to say hi and see how everything's going. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it goes downhill. Oh. <laughs> um, in fact, um, I don't know if you uh, heard that episode when we were talking about the haunted objects, but the one that I got up in Idaho, for example, from uh, the Idaho Youth Ranch, the thrift store up there in Pocatello, I picked up a haunted uh, porcelain doll from there. I picked up a, an extremely haunted mirror um, here in Logan from a residential cleansing, and then I have a few other items as well. Oh, gotcha. But those are more of the malicious intent, and like we were talking about before the episode, mm-hmm. um, I we I plan on getting them sealed and then get them in the display pieces, so that way I can have them for the Paracon and everything. Right. And that, sense. and on top of that, uh, it if we seal them and then we keep them sealed, then. Every time when I go to my storage unit, I'm not going to get attacked like I have been lately. Right. right. And there's there's a lot more you, you could have gotten, but the thing that we've discovered uh, in the past couple of years is uh, we don't want to just take people's objects, even if they're scared of them. Yeah. So we've learned a way to clear them, to get the spirit out, uh, detached, detached from, from the object so right. that the people... Mm-hmm can still keep these items oh, that they right, have right now. now unless they're like desperate like no i i just don't want it we we would but we're now doing more leaning to the point of just cleansing the items oh right so that the p- people can keep them right yeah because i i would if we took every single haunted I- item that we came across i would have to get a big storage unit <laughs> right literally right um but you, collecting haunted objects you know it has its pros and cons the pros is it doesn't land into the wrong hands Mm -hmm. the cons are well now i'm gonna have to keep the storage unit so that way i can keep them separate from my living space because as you can tell you know we we like skulls we like halloween stuff we like stones we got stones everywhere i mean it's Uh uh-huh we like to keep this house balanced, and if I bring a haunted item into this house, it's going to throw that balance all off, and right. really, I don't want to have to deal with the repercussions of it, so I took the easy way out, and hey, I have a storage unit a that's storage unit. Clear, clear across town, so no way they can get remotely close right, to Right, exactly. And yep. the flip side of that, too, is the stuff that we, we are collecting is the fact that there are is a thing called a, where you're sealing... Mm-hmm a spirit to an object yep like almost like as a prison 
So instead of just, you know, because we can go into people's houses and get rid of this negative thing that's affecting them, but they can just go off and affect someone else in another house. Right. And starting all over. So we're trying to come up with this thing to be able to get these spirits uh, banished into uh, somewhere else where it's not going to affect anyone on this plane mm-hmm. or lock them into an object right. and seal that object away. Because at yeah. that point, they can't keep an object because it's stuck with that object it's not, it can't because some spirits yeah. when they have attachments on their own they can leave that right they can come and go and do whatever they want even if you cleanse the, the item they can just go somewhere else right and go into other items there's you know item jumping and all that sometimes they are uh anchored to an object and that's how they be able to be on this plane right. some spirits can just go in and out of objects freely yeah like that piano uh, that residential in Brigham City where I picked up that gun case. Yeah, that, that, that guy was anchored mm-hmm. to that piano. Right. And if you got rid of the piano and destroyed it, that guy would he'd, he'd be gone. He'd yep. be released and all that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I, there was one I, that I interviewed a lady. She'd already got rid of the object, but she, she loved antiques. And she had gotten um, this antique um, bag, leather bag, that was um, from a shoe cobbler. Um, it was his mobile thing. And, you know, the objects would move things. One night she woke up, she had a baby, and her baby woke up fussing. And before she, and she has her monitor. And before she could get up out of bed, she could hear somebody singing to the baby a deep voice in a German accent with a German, singing a German lullaby. And so it was an old. Um, a cobbler basically mm-hmm. and he was attached to his tools and she ended up taking it back to the <laughs> taking it back to the um the place that she had purchased it and they were happy to take it back but so yeah it's interesting how they're kind of attached sometimes loosely or not loosely yeah to objects well and that's funny uh last night um at the time of this recording i was uh, at benson grismill last night and in one of the cabins is the blacksmith uh cabin and you go in there and the guy, you know, he won't pay any attention to you. He'll just, you know, do his do his work on the other side, if you will. Um, he gets really aggravated when you start touching his tools. Oh, right. You know, but um, the last time I was there, um, I struck st- st- stroke a conversation with him. You know, it was just, you know, how's, how's your day doing? What are you making? You know, this is a pretty cool tool. You know, they make something similar like this nowadays, you know. Mm-hmm. And he seemed pretty cordial about it, you know. But he likes to be kept to himself. Right. So, obviously, we didn't stay in there for long. It was a quick trip in there. Hi, bye, you know. Right. Yep. No. That's very interesting. And he doesn't like women. Because that's his space. Women aren't allowed in that space. Uh, yeah. Oh, and, if, right. and if women go into space, they get touched in inappropriate areas. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. So, yeah, so that that's kind of funny that even in a completely separate area, it's still the same concept. Now, for the future, what are your plans? Are you planning on making, uh, writing more books? Are you planning on uh, doing more investigations? Are you planning on doing some sort of travel to kind of write more books about surrounding areas? What What's in the future for you? Um, yeah, I want to keep writing books, keep collecting stories. Um, right before 
COVID hit, I had several um, opportunities where I was going to be able to travel and, and speak. And I would really like to do that too once COVID's over. Um, that's one part of the reason I wanted to do the Para-X here is to get people a chance to speak and, and um, you know, give a chance for uh, who you know, the, our group that I that I was able to contact to come in and talk. I know some that are coming in from, or, um, I have Shannon Legro from uh, Las Vegas. She's coming in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of places in Nevada, they weren't going to allow any kind of conferences or anything this year. And so um, my plan is, yeah, keep writing books. Um, I would like to make this Para-X a yearly thing um, and get more people coming in. And, and uh, being the first year, uh, you know, I had to, my wife and I had to flip the bill for a lot because um, a lot of sponsors are don't like to jump in the first year. But if it's yeah. the next year and we can say, oh, we had this many people and it, you know, it was barely popular. Which they need the numbers. They need the numbers, yeah. Isn't mm-hmm. that funny how it is? And then we're hoping to get sponsors and make it bigger and, and just keep going and, and work on that, work on more books and, and just keep going like that. That's what I'm hoping to do. So um, My biggest question is, do you think it's going to be difficult and limited based on the fact that you're doing it in Logan or do you think the turnout will be uh, decent? I have had a lot of people, believe it or not, um, I've had people call me from back east asking me what the, you know, what the the best places to stay in town are. I'm, I'm kind of surprised how many people are coming from really far away um, and excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done a radio ad campaign and some campaigns um, through Ogden and everything and all the way up through Pocatello. Um, I... I I can't say what the numbers are going to be, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be surprisingly big. And another part of that is that people are ready to come out and do stuff and they're ready yeah. to interact. And, and we haven't had much of a, anything like this in Cash Valley. And yeah. there's a lot of people no. that are interested in it. For uh, probably a big reason. <laughs> right, yeah. right, yeah. right. And, um, you know, I, I, it's, and this is what I tell a lot of people that are coming. Um, I have people that are interested and they're like, well, you know, under their breath, they're like, well, what kind of people are going to be there? And I'm like, everybody is going to be welcome there. And everybody can come, whatever your interest is. You know, we're going to have stuff for your kids to do there. We're going to have stuff for, you know, adults. Um, people are really excited about the speakers. Um, there's going to be a lot of stuff. I've got, I've been working really hard to get, um, you know, uh, the exhibit going with the, the haunted objects. And then also, you know, I have a, I made a life-size cutout of Bigfoot so people can stand next to it to see how big the estimations are and, and they can take pictures next to the tape measure so they can see. And I also um, was able to get a plaster cast um, from Dr. Meldrum uh, that's from the original Patty, um, the um, Patterson-Gimlin film, a plaster cast from that um, when they... When they mm-hmm. took that film that, uh, that I'll have there as well. And mm-hmm. so there's going to be a lot there for whether you're interested in cryptids or ghosts or anything paranormal. I think you'd be able to come out and have a great time. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we are super excited about it. You know, growing up in this valley, you know, I grew up in Preston. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very, very familiar about, you know, the culture that's here in Cache Valley and Utah and Idaho. Well, most of most of Idaho and all of, all of Utah. And when I saw that you wanted to do a Paracon here in Logan, you know, I had my doubts because right. I know Logan. <laughs> this is why we travel, you know, 
We travel so far for locations and to help people because we don't really get any activity here in Cache Valley. You know, Uh when we did find locations, it was because I was sourcing them out. You know, it wasn't like people were coming to us to investigate. I was going to them. And most of the places told me, no, we we don't want anything to do with this. You know, and a lot of the residentials here just don't want to reach out because they don't want people to know because they're afraid that they're insane and blah 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 and and really though if you if you read the bible the bible particularly states that spirits walk among us you know so there's nothing yeah. to be ashamed about if you're having issues with an entity in your home call us mm-hmm. you know regardless of your religion if you're mormon if you're catholic if you're jehovah's witness if you're you know anything else right you know we do it privately we take care of the issue privately. It's not going to be on Facebook. And really, it's nothing to be ashamed about. Thousands upon thousands of people are experiencing this on a daily basis. Right. That are too afraid to reach out. So when I saw that you wanted to do a Paracon here in Logan, I, I you know, I had my doubts. But I was excited about it at the same time because this is something that Cash Valley has not had before. Because prior to this, you know, David and I... We've been to Sandy, Utah for a couple of expos. We've been to Salt Lake City for a couple of expos. Uh, we even did a uh, couple years in Ogden, Utah for the Union Station, you know, night at the museum. Oh, right. You know, Which those, those three. Yeah. Until new management stepped in and then they stopped doing those. Oh, that's yeah. too bad. Which was yeah. unfortunate because a lot of people, like, we did it two years in a row. The first year we did it, it was, you know, iffy. And the second year it was really big. Yeah. yeah. Because a lot of people uh, that came before told more people and it got really big but then the third year was coming around and they got new management and then so they decided they weren't going to do it this year and a lot of people were disappointed that they weren't doing it that year right yeah and and doing those three areas you know those not saying that cash valley is closed-minded but they're very close narrow-minded people right And, and and yeah and going just going over to Ogden, for example, just an hour drive, just over to Ogden, people are completely different over there. So I am curious to see on how this year will go as well. But we have your support. You know, yeah. we, we support you 100%. And I the appreciate way. that. One thing, and I want to point this out because I, I kind of t- talk to people about this. Um, in, the, in the Mormon community here, in, even in the valley in the Mormon community, they absolutely love uh, stories when of people if if it's in a religious context where they run into a spirit. Mm-hmm. There's an entire book written about the Logan Temple that's just about you know the experiences of running into you know people from the other side. Yeah, and I tell them I'm like to me there's not really that that's there's not a huge difference between what you're talking about and other paranormal or ghost stories. Those are ghost stories. These are ghost stories. Uh, the context mm-hmm. might be a little different, but you're not that far away from each other. You know, there's no, there doesn't need to be this huge, you know, fear of, and, and grow, because I grew up in, a, in, you know, in a way that we were afraid of what our neighbors were going to say. I kind of live my life now. I'm old enough now, I guess that I'm just like, I, you think of me what you want to. Yeah. You, know, you think I'm, if you think I'm crazy because I write these books, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you think I'm crazy because I tell these stories or I interview people, um, um, I have my belief system. I feel like I'm a good person, and that's all that really matters. And I think we'll come together. I think there'll be a lot of people that come together, and and like I said, everybody's going to be welcome at this thing. Um, 
and and it's okay for people even to disagree um but there's an agreeable way to disagree and and i think like you say i think it's going to be fun i really do i think it's going to be an amazing event i think there'll be a lot of people there mm-hmm. there may be people there coming out of curiosity people who've been waiting for something like this and i hope that they all come away with something you know positive uh from this experience i really do yeah because i definitely want this to be a positive experience for everybody as well because i don't want people to put that stigma towards the paranormal i mean i people look at me like i'm batshit crazy and it's not it's not just strangers it's even family members too you know i have family members that do not believe in this whatsoever and you know and i told them i respect your your opinions you know but you also got to respect mine as well you know the the stuff that i have experienced the stuff that i have dealt with uh, on a professional and a personal level you know someone has to experience it to be able to believe it you know it's just like everything else out of sight out of mind you know if you can't see it then it's not real right but it it affects people differently it could be energy wise it could be malicious you know intent or anything like that yeah and i hope the outcome of having a paranormal expo here in logan utah should not bring that stigma with it you know i want people to walk in there with an open mind i mean yes there are some batshit crazy people out in the paranormal field we get that across the board there's going to be those types of people but if you look past that and look at the groups that actually put forth their time and effort and doing these dangerous tasks to be able to have a house that you can live in peacefully, you know, like we talked about on the previous episode, it's it, you know, actually, yeah, on a previous episode, you know, doing this kind of stuff is dangerous. It, it It's very dangerous to us. But the reward of knowing that you are living in a house now that is safe and peaceful makes it all worth it you know so even though paranormal ghosts spirits entities demons angels those are more common than say ufo or bigfoot or the loch ness monster or the bear lake monster or anything like that we just want people to have an open mind when it comes to this i mean yeah you can you can joke you can poke and prod but at the end of the day this stuff is real and we want the expo to be very successful we want you know the first year is going to be the test year and then after that you can grow from it you can learn from your experience and your mistakes and stuff like that and then grow and flourish on that and like i said before we have your back 100 percent on this and we will gladly support you every year you do this well i really appreciate it and i do like every year we have it we definitely want you guys to be a part of it and and come out and like I said, it's it's just going to be fun. I love, you know, the fact that all the new people that I get to meet uh, in doing this, you know, from all over, mm-hmm. um, whether, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing on a podcast or I get to meet somebody who's had an experience or contacting me, it's just been a, a wonderful, you know, it's a wonderful experience. And, mm-hmm. and I want and I want that to be part of the Para-X, that people are coming together and, and seeing that, you know, we're just, you know, everybody's just normal people that that have had experiences or enjoy um, hearing about experiences or how it goes from there. It's just, yeah, you know, I want it to be fun and I want it to be 
just everything that um, coming together and, and all of that. Okay. Well, one of the things I like to, uh, to explain to people when they ask us all the time is, I'm not a believer. Change my mind. The, the first thing I look them dead in the eyes and say, you have to experience it to believe it. There's right. nothing I can say or do or show you that will prove that it exists. You have to experience it. And, and one thing that I find with, with a lot of people, I do this experiment. I say, when they say something like that, I, I say, have you ever walked into a room of people, you know, you came late or you walked into your parents' house, you walked into a room, and you know immediately that there's just been a fight in that room. There is a tension before anybody even speaks that you can feel that tension. And some people will be like, no, I've never had that. But a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, I've had that. I've walked in. I felt that that tension in the room before anybody even spoke. Mm-hmm. I said, that's energy. That's mm-hmm. energy that those people just had. You're walking into that. That's you, that's what you're talking about experiencing on a different level is walking into a wall of energy that somebody's just made by having a fight in there and you walked in and you knew there was tension in the room you could feel it I said that's exactly the same thing you're it's on a on a different level but it's just energies that people are putting off whether they're dead or alive or whatever it is Mm-hmm. You know, you've experienced something paranormal because science says there's no reason you should be able to walk into a room, walk into a room and be like, oh, there was a fight here a minute ago, or there's tension in this room, but you pick it up. You know, a lot of people do. Some people might not, but some people might be very sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. And I say that's the exact same energy that we're just talking about. It's mm-hmm. it's the feelings, it's the feelings and words and everything have a reverberation that you can feel and that's the Mm -hmm. same with paranormal it's just the reverberation of somebody's aura of what they're putting off they might be dead they might be alive but you're gonna feel it and you did feel it so you did feel something paranormal yeah it's funny i used that analogy yesterday oh did you (laughs) that exact thing that you i did i described that type of feeling to a person because i was uh talking to someone who says uh she can feel people's emotions, mm-hmm. right? And so I use that type of analogy because she uh, has like a type of a, a disorder, you know, that she has to take medicine for and stuff. And she doesn't want to think she's crazy and stuff. And she says, why do I always feel people's vibes and stuff? That's like what she said to me. And mm-hmm. I tried to explain it to her that, you know, a lot of people have that type of feeling. A lot of people can feel when someone's pissed off and they don't say nothing, you can feel the energy that they're given off right you know and i say a lot of people do it and a lot of people are born with stuff like that and a lot of people just develop it over time the more they delve into our type of work that we do right you know and it's just learning how to how to deal with that and it's it, it's a it's a difficult thing to try to steer someone to understanding what it all means right without uh, being able for them to experience and guide them along their journey right on a daily basis yep Mm -hmm. yep exactly that's perfect so with the expo what booths are you expecting to be there for this year um so my lovely wife has been in charge of the booths and she's been signing up a lot of people um and i don't have any names but i do know we have several artists that are coming um that do um different all different kinds of art around the paranormal and stuff mm-hmm. uh, several of them were actually really excited because they're artists but they very rarely get to show off some of their um their pieces like that that are more paranormal ghosts bigfoot mm-hmm. because they just don't really sell at the um at the the art show 
mm-hmm. but they're excited to be able to bring those. Um, we do have people um, from all different kinds of realms. We have a, a couple different uh, paranormal groups. I, re- I remember you guys and a couple other that are just coming to show off their stuff and, and talk about their different things. Um, uh, we've got, um, I'm trying to think, a lot of artists um, that are going to bring their paranormal stuff. Uh, I'd have to look at the list again. I kind of went blank. But there's going to be, um, I think we're right around 60 booths now, I think, roughly. 50. You got any uh, crystal stone vendors there? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think we might. I know my wife was kind of talking to somebody um, from down in the Salt Lake area that was thinking about coming up that does yeah. that. So okay. um, there was a guy that I talked to. Um, I can't remember where I ran into his booth. But he has um, crystal and stone skulls made. That were just beautiful. They were just beautiful, and I gave him a card, and he was really excited. I hope he can come, because um, it's another thing where it's kind of a specific thing. But yeah, um, he has he has a group that make them down in South America, in kind of the same way, not the same way that they made the crystal skulls, but they come from the same area where pe- people have carved them out of different stones. Um, Okay. And so, yeah, a bunch of different stuff like that. And I think there'll be stuff for everybody down there. Face, there's even going to be face painting for kids that want, you know, to go along with their Halloween costume that they bring. In. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I know uh, I actually, I talked to uh, Deanne over at uh, Wisps APS, and I know they have a booth oh, up yep. there as well. I was just kind of curious to see what other groups got a booth there, because from my understanding... A lot of people were trying to gun for the convention over in Ber- and Vernal because oh. uh, the Skinwalker people are going to be there. Right, right. And that one's really going to be a big one. I think that one's uh, in September, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I can't remember. But, yeah. Um, yeah, there's... Uh, I can't remember all the groups that are coming. I apologize. My wife has a list. I mean, 60 is pretty big. Yeah, yeah. Um, 60 is pretty I don't good think size booths for the booths what's and stuff. Even It'll the hold biggest 100. one we've done was it sixty? Was it the largest convention that we did was when it was at the uh, exposition center, and they had a, a lot of vendors there. Uh-huh. Outside of that, besides the Union Station, the other locations didn't. The other uh, expos didn't really have that many. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking yeah. about just a sixty. That's that's. A pretty that's big a chunk between 50 yeah. and 60 right there so, yeah I mean, that's, that's yeah, and it'll good. hold it'll hold 100 in there but that's i mean because it's a huge center mm-hmm. over there so and we're still signing up a few here and there uh, people are still contacting us and, and interested okay so it'll be it'll be fun and i know a lot of people um when i've polled people and talked to people a lot of them are excited to come and hear the speakers that's what they're you know and uh, here shortly we'll have um the time's up for mm-hmm. for the speakers and um, and then at the end of the night at well not at the end end it'll go till eight o'clock but around six o'clock we'll have um, a panel with um, you and me and all the other speakers to uh, talk about you know answer questions from the audience people mm-hmm. can come in and and ask us whatever questions they want um, and uh, some of the people that are talking are going to have booze as well with their books and there'll be a lot of authors authors there i'm going to have a booth with all of my books and um so it should be it should be fun i think okay are you going to have any food vendors there um we're we're hoping to have some outside we're we're hoping to have a couple food trucks we're still working on that um so if anybody knows of a food truck that might want to come out uh they're welcome to we will have uh, like a a candy booth somebody's going to put together a candy booth which would be kind of cool okay 
and uh, so should be there should be plenty to do down there I think yeah I think uh, if you can get some food vendors down there that would take the cake as well because yeah. every every convention I think besides the one in Sandy um, had food had food vendors and it's very convenient to have food vendors because where where is the uh, where is the convention going to be at here in Logan it's at the cash uh, event center on um, the fairgrounds down there the brand new one down there okay. uh, across from the um, aqua the swimming pool down there so okay yeah, the aquatic we're, center. We're, but we, we are hoping to get at least um, two or three um, food trucks that'll be out there so yeah and for people that are not familiar with Logan where the fairgrounds are you have to travel to practically Main Street to go and get food. So yeah. to be able to get some food vendors down there, like some burgers or tacos or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. that would be ideal. Because for right. for because in our experience doing conventions and everything, when we were part of other conventions that didn't have any food vendors, so we had to send one of our team members out to go get food, right. and, go get and food. then we'd have to do things in shifts, you know, like right. one person had to stay at the booth while everybody ate and and yeah. everything like that. So it's. It's more convenient if there's more if there's going to be food vendors there, so that way, whenever we're hungry, we could just take off and go. Get and food. worst case scenario, people are just coming to try food, <laughs> right? And then they're right. like, oh, "Oh, what's going on here?" You know, they yeah. see some food, might as well eat, and then you get them in the get door, anyways. The door. You can at least promote that there's at least going to be food there, because most people are like, "Is there going to be food there?" And you say, "No," you're like, well, "I ain't going." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. Most people think most about people food. Most people think about food. That's for <laughs> sure. So, yep. So the convention's going to be down at the uh, down at the new building at the fairgrounds. It's going from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, what's the cost for the tickets? So it'll be uh, eight bucks for adults, and kids ten and under are free. Okay. So Yep. And then there's still I still have a few golden tickets that are available. Um, if anybody's interested, those are 65. What they come with is um, you get a catered lunch with the speakers, um, a meet and greet with the speakers. Um, we have a swag bag with books and a bunch of stuff in it and um, just a bunch of extras like that that go along with it, kind of enhance the the experience, so to speak. So Okay, awesome. And what's the official date? Because I think we've cocked up a few times on the date. October 9th. Okay. October 9th, Perfect. Saturday. October 9th. Yep, Saturday yep. the 9th. Awesome. So where can people find you? So you can find me at strangerbridgerland.com is my website. And when you get on there, you can find all of my books. Um, I And they're also all available on Amazon, on either a softback or a Kindle. Um, right now I have all but two of them uh, available on Audible as well. Uh, you can download and listen to them on Audible. So mm-hmm. those are the best places. If you want to contact me, uh, get a hold of me at strangerbridgerland.com. So, and also on strangerbridgerland.com, you can find uh, the website for Para-X and you get all the information and find out about all the speakers and everything too. So Awesome. And we will also include all the links and everything so that way you can find John, you can find the information of the expo. Um, we have been posting up links uh, in regards to the expo on every single podcast ever since we made the announcement, but I will post them on the Facebook page and on the group page as well um david did you have any other questions for john today no okay john i want to say it's uh it was been a huge pleasure having you on the podcast and i thank you again for giving me the opportunity to 
be a speaker and be a guest host uh, to your expo and coming on our podcast. I think uh, a follow-up podcast episode would be good after the expo and everything, and we'll talk about how everything went and everything, and we can go from there. Maybe get him on a hunt. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun, too. In fact, let's make this official. I am inviting you on an investigation. I will have an investigation lined up, and we'll bring you along. That'd be awesome. I would really appreciate that. That would be cool. Awesome. Right on. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it and, and being a part of the Para-X. This is going yeah. to be amazing. Excited. Yeah, not a problem. I'm I'm happy to have you on and everything. So we thank you again, John. You've been an awesome guest. And I look forward to posting this up so everybody can listen to this. Thank you so much. Yeah, Bye-bye. not a problem. All right, so that was our awesome guest, John. Like uh, like he said, the expo is going to be down at the fairgrounds. It's going to be a fun time. Come and see us. We definitely recommend that you go and uh, buy the ticket now or at least buy the VIP ticket so you can come and meet me and meet the other guest speakers and come and have lunch with us, and then you get to see us on a panel at the end of the day. But that's going to do it for our episode. Look uh, for our season finale, which will be coming out right after this episode, where we're going to be asking your questions and give you a little more insight about us and about our group and everything like that, and we will go from there. So thank you so much for tuning in to us, and you have a great rest of your day. See ya. You are listening to the Bear River Paranormal Podcast, BRP Podcast. If you or you know of someone who is having issues with an entity or a possible haunting, please send us an email, text, or call. You can find all of our information at www.bearriverparanormal.com. We work 24-7 so we can resolve your paranormal issues quickly and as conveniently as possible. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. Toss us a rating or a review. You can also find us on Facebook at BRP Podcast. If you are interested in sponsoring us, or if you like your products featured on the show, please send us a message. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful rest of your day.